Hi, everyone. Welcome to our podcast, where you will find messages from various speakers here at Eastgate House of Prayer Mission Base, both a house of prayer and a praying church. We pray that you are blessed through this message and that a greater measure of truth is revealed to you as you listen. So it's interesting, Kirk, he always gets a word and he said, I I think the Lord has something for you to share. And I said, well, I'm super busy right now. And I thought, okay, is it like another bro share where we just go up? front and we just kind of talk, the two of us, and it's just super casual. And he said, no, no, I think he's got a message for you. And I had so many things going on this week, and I thought, okay, so what is that going to be? And I was kind of wondering, so what does the Lord want me to share? And and so I was really just seeking the Lord, Lord, what what do you want me to share? And if, if, if you do want me to share something, what is it? Right? Make it very, very evident. And so Kirk came over Friday morning, and I said, Kirk, I know what it is. Creation, evolution, resurrection of Jesus Christ, the worldview of the Bible and the gospel. And he's like, <laughs> so just a, a light message. There's a, uh, a lot of topics, but really, I mean, I'm a marketplace guy and I'm an engineer. So I'm going to give a, a fairly deep look at a lot of different things today, but it's going to be, I mean, this could be 40 sermons, right? So it's going to be a high level jettison. And, and uh, you know, if you guys want more information too, you could just go info at Eastgate, whatever, you know, and, uh, and go get more information on it because I've got tons but the, really, one of the things that, for me, is in 2016, when I met Eastgate House of Prayer, I, uh, I, I was, I considered myself, I thought I was a Christian, but I, I wonder, really, what was I at the time? I was so full of just really rebellion and, and uh, the ways of the world. And then in 2016, what happened was, the, as we started to pray, everything started to change. My, the way I looked at the world changed, the way that I, I hungered for the Word, I got into the, uh, the Bible for the first time in my life. I started just to, and I had just an intense search for truth. And uh, anybody that, that uh, in Toronto that, that's seen my house, there's books delivered every day, and I'm just like, just going through them, because I just, I just love the search for truth. And one of the things that, uh, that, that really got to me as well in terms of truth is what I'm seeing in the world right now, one of them being my daughter. So she, back in 2016, she pulled away away from the Lord, and part of it was because she took evolution in school. And, uh, and I was like, wow, okay, this is, and then you see the, what's propagating in and through schools and what's happening across the world right now. There's just a, there's a hunger and there's a need for truth. So today is going to be a, just a real blast through a lot of different things. And it, it's got to do really with a, with a search for truth. And so just, we know right now too, that what we hear, what we see people doing, it, it's, it's powers and principalities. It's not, it's, our war is not against people. It's not against flesh and blood, right? It's against powers and principalities. So I'd just like to start by just two of my favorite scriptures. So 2 Corinthians 4.4. 4. So the God of this age that has blinded the minds of unbelievers, that they not see the light of the gospel that displays the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. Ephesians 1.17-20, and I pray over this, everyone, right now. I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give unto you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. And I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his inglorious inheritance in his holy people and his incomparably great power for us who believe. And that power is the same as the mighty strength he exerted when he raised Christ from the dead and seated him at his right hand in heavenly realms. So one of the things that's happening in the world right now is to do with evolution, creation, atheism, that if, if a Christian can be made to think the beginning of the Bible is not true, then why would there be reason to believe the entire Bible? And growing up, my faith was very shallow, where I would hear things and I would start to quiver and wave. Now I go at it with such tenacity because I hunger the truth and I know that the word of God is the infallible truth that science just continues to to reveal it in just remarkable ways that it's a, all wisdom is contained in that book. It's incredible. So everything I see now, I go and I look through the lens with absolute confidence, right? As I go further into science, 
I get excited. So when I thought, thought of sharing this morning, I was so excited because it's such a great story and in uh, what the Bible has to reveal. What we were, uh, Kirk was talking about, uh, Romans 1.20, opposition to the truth cannot be excused on the basis of ignorance because from the creation of the world, the invisible qualities of God's nature have been made visible, such as his eternal power and transcendence. He made his wonderful attributes easily perceived, for seeing the visible makes us understand the invisible. So then, this leaves everyone with the excuse. And as, as we were, uh, Kirk was mentioning, the whole earth is filled with the knowledge of the glory of God. And that's why we just need the Lord just to, to open our eyes. And it's a progressive process of, of just renewing our minds. And it's, it's, it's an incredible process. When you look at a creator, I mean, it's a, it's it, creation, like that scripture says, is a proof of a creator, right? Just like this church, right, is proof that there was a builder that built the church. And as we start looking into, you know, just different elements of awe and wonder, one of my very favorite songs in the world is So Will I, right? Just talks about just the creator and just how he spoke things into being. And if you look at our universe, the sun and our planets orbiting around the sun, our star is, our solar system and our star is one of over 100 billion in our galaxy. Our galaxy is one of one to 200 billion galaxies in the universe. And we just keep, we just keep going, okay, how, how much is this? Like, how big is this? Creation is just astounding. One of the things that I love is if you take a dime, this tiny little dime, and I'll use the dime again later, and you, and you hold it up to the sky, and it blocks just a, a, a tiny, tiny bit of our view, but that one dime blocks us from seeing 15 million stars. Like, it's, it's unfathomable. Like, we can't even guess who our creator is. To think that everything came from random chance, and it's, and I'll, by the time we're done today, the insanity of it will be made very, very clear. <laughs> and it, it's so much fun because the, uh, I mean, when I start looking at um, evolution, it's not, a, it's, not a, it's not a theory of origin. It presupposes certain structures are there in order for it to be true. If those structures were not there, then how could something that's not true make something true, right? It's, uh, and it's built on such an incredible layer after layer of assumptions, the science. So if you look at the purest definition of science, it's repeatable, it's observable, right? And the first thing I usually go to is the, if you look at the, the Big Bang, which is the most common theory of, of what evolutionists would say, okay, this is how things, everything came from nothing. They're actually going back 13.8 billion years ago, and they're starting to make assumptions of how this came into being. And it's uh, so I thought, okay, well that's it's a pretty big guess, right? To to try to discredit the Bible, right? It's a it, it's really going back a long way. Um, there's an interesting uh, so the more that we discover about the Lord, the, the more that we realize that the what has to be possible for the, for, to, in order to, to prove out these theories. As I start looking into them, I was just in shock and awe. So number one, how does something come from nothing, right? So Big Bang has to prove that. And that's just not, it's matter. So, so the probability of matter coming from nothing is impossible, right? So, so there's impossibility. How does life come from non-life? So biogenesis. It's a law of nature stating that life comes from life, right? So it's going against the very laws it states. If you look at, uh, if you keep going through beyond life, if you look at species, right? Species are created within their kind. Dinosaurs just were. I mean, you start looking at all these things and I mean, we'll, we'll dig in a bit more to these things, but it's just, it's a continuation. Why are we so different than animals? Like we're, we're, like, we're, like we're moral creatures. We, we look at art, we paint, we admire things. We look for purpose and meaning. Like, like why is that, right? So, you, so you, and, and there's no way to, if you look at the second law of thermodynamics, entropy, it basically states that if there was a random start, what happens, things go from order to chaos, from order to disorder, 
right? So there's a continual progression of disorder and it, and it applies to, to uh, so how could a total array of all of a sudden something coming from nothing, which is an impossibility, create the beautiful order in design that we see in everything? And that brings us into the laws of nature, right? The laws of nature are incredible. Our, our world, the fact that it's, everything is repeatable, it's understandable, that there's their order to everything. I mean, and we just, get, I mean, it, it started with gravity. We start looking at all these different uh, uh, physics and science and all these different formulas. It's why we can build an airplane to fly because we know these things just like the nature of God doesn't change. We know all these things are not gonna change as well. If you look at, uh, it doesn't matter what it is. If you look at Einstein, where he started to bring just some incredible new realities that things we had no idea about that matter to energy, energy to matter and the, and the conversion. And it's based on a constant of speed of light, right? And it shows how a star mass can be converted into just billions of years of energy just through the mass to energy conversion. It's, so science, get into quantum physics, starts to prove the unseen to the seen. You get into neuroscience, everything just starts to point to God, point to God more and more. And the, the old theories of what everything was based upon start to become realized for really what they are. So the... Uh, Vince Vitale, I don't know if you guys know him. Um, he has a great quote, but before that, it's interesting too, for even the probability of, let alone life being formed, of this planet being able to sustain life, they used to think, well, two or three things have to be in alignment for that to happen. Later, it was 10, moved to 50, then it was moved to 200, and it just keeps increasing. And these aren't just things that have to exist, they're things that have to exist in a perfect balance in a perfect way within an entire construct of the universe. Even if Jupiter wasn't this huge gravity-rich planet that's the next planet beside us, diverts asteroids, big asteroids from hitting Earth, right? It's even that part of design would have, would have been annihilation for the Earth. So there's so many things that we have no understanding about that all come together to, to form life. So this is, a, this is a wild quote, and it kind of sums all this stuff up. So Vince Vitality says, right now, I'm standing on a rock that's rotating at 1,000 miles an hour and flying around the sun at 67,000 miles an hour as part of a galaxy that is hurling itself at over a million miles an hour through a universe with laws so orderly that human life exists. And he points out that science strongly points to the existence of God. And science now uh, as well proves that the universe just wasn't was. It actually came into existence. There's proof that at one point there was nothing and now we have something. And so everything is just continuously pointing to the existence of God. Even Nietzsche, a famous philosopher, said, if there's no God, life has no meaning. Without a moral lawgiver, there is no absolute sense of morality. If we were just random coming from primordial slime and we were just random in chance bubbling into existence why would there be good and evil where would all this come from there would there'd be no basis for it whatsoever what's interesting is that if you look at evolution darwin would look and he, he saw a beak and he saw another beak that was quite different he goes aha there, there, you know there's something here but what we're seeing is there is microevolution and there is adaption and there is, we're evolving and changing, but within our species, right? And, and so that's, that's continuously happening, but natural selection and chance and, and mutation does not create something that's more advanced of higher order. It's in, in fact, it works the exact opposite. And even in the human genome, the same thing is proven. You don't, it's, I don't wanna to go too far too quick. <laughs> So if something makes something impossible, wouldn't all of a sudden we start looking for other possibilities? So if the eye makes evolution impossible, so if you look at it in the womb when, when, when the eye is being formed, <clears throat> there's, a, there's a million nerve endings from each eyeball that, that's reaching out and the brain is reaching out with a million nerve endings. They have to match perfectly in order to 
the complexity of the eye requires multiple things to happen at the same time. It's not an incremental change. It's the formation of many things coming together to, to, the, to form the most complex structure. If you look at our ear, how our ear is designed, it's remarkable. It, it's, I mean, it's, there's such sophisticated uh, um, feats of engineering and science, it's unimaginable. It's, so, and I start looking too in, in the miracle of our body that our, if you look at our, our blood vessels, our capillaries, uh, our arteries, everything about us, if you were to take those and you were to put them all in one big line, it's staggering. It would go around the world once, twice, two and a half times just for the blood vessels and all the little things that they're worked in to supply what our body requires. If you look at our lungs, right, if you were to, the way the lungs are designed, it's, there's an enormous amount of surface area. If you stretch out our lungs, you fill a tennis court right just as you if you were to stretch it out to one smooth surface so it's it's uh it's just i mean everything you look at we're just a marvel of creation the spark of inception so when there's when there when a, when a baby comes in the in the moment of conception the spark of life science can't it, it's there's no way to describe what that is what happens at that moment of conception it's impossible if you look at us as as spiritual beings and that's again why the sanctity of life, it's not ours. We can't, we can't even tell you how it happens. So why would we be able to control it and be God over other, other li other, another life that God has made? And if you look at the um, getting into to all the various aspects of just the, the miracle of creation, like very few people would deny that we're spiritual beings, that we have a conscience, we have fellowship with God, we have the ability to commune with the Lord, we have an intuition. How could evolution create an aspect of us that was made and designed to commune with our Creator? It's, uh, DNA, oh my goodness. If evolution were true, you your DNA would be way different than the guy in Siberia. The guy in, 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 in North and South Poles would be, there'd be such variation and change. You know, that there's, there's less than one-tenth of one percent of variation across the entire human race. So that's total proof that Adam and Eve were the beginning of creation. Hey, Gil. <laughs> which, is, uh, which is because the... Um, if it was random chance, you would see such a, such a massive flux of everything. And just like within the species, right? If evolution were true, by the same token that Adam and Eve could only create a DNA that is, that is identical across the entire human race, that's why we're the human race, right? Evolution would, would have you think that you're white skin and you're this, therefore there's a different hierarchy. No, no, we're all, we're all part of, and that's where ugliness comes in, or racism and like this stuff all opens the door to doubt. And that's how the enemy works. He works through doubt. That's how in the Garden of Eden, he worked through doubt. On our faith, he works through doubt. And that's why I, I love the search for truth because it just keeps building your faith and building your faith more and more. It's, it's so much fun. And then, so chimps, right? They go, well, the proof that they're 96 to 98% must mean like we're, you know, we're, we're evolved from chimps. And it's funny, when you look, when you start reading about everything, they call man more like ape man, and they call apes ape men, and they start to try to morph everything together. But if you look at a chimp, right, the, the DNA that's, that, that is a fixed length, like ours happens to be 3.2 billion characters long, a, a chimp is 8% larger DNA than ours. And if you, they're only looking at comparing the alignable segments of DNA, and that's how they get 96 to 98%. If you look at what it really is, it's about 80%, but it's because there's a book of life. Everything has a common genetic coding. A book of life is written for every living thing. So if you want to play the game of alignable areas, then a banana, guess what, Kirk? You, you have 50% of the DNA of a banana. And Gil, you have 90% you have the same DNA as a cat. Right? And so it's, it's because there's DNA is, is encoded life. It's a book of life. It's, it's incredible.
And every, every living organism has them. And if you look at, like I said, we've got you know, 3.2 billion characters packed into a cell, right? That cell, um, how could a cell contain 3.2 billion characters of information? Now, let alone within our body, we've got 50 to 100 trillion of these cells. Now, what's even more of a miracle than the miracle of the DNA is the miracle of the cell, right? Because how do we have cells in our entire body, 75 trillion, that's kind of colored right in the middle, and all those cells are all working in unison as one, as one being all knitted together. Like we've got billions of signals pulsing through our body every second, right? It's, uh, it's, it's incredible what goes on in, in the human body. So you have our DNA, right? It's this strand of, of 3.2 billion characters. There's something called an editor enzyme. And what it do, what it does, it's designed, because we're multiplying, multiplying, cells are dying, we're multiplying, the, this en editor enzyme goes continuously up and down the DNA looking for issues and repairing it back to the original creation of the DNA. And that's happening in every cell in every second of every day in our body. There's continual regrowth and regeneration in everything that we do. It gets better. <laughs> DNA, the, the, the amount of information that we hold, it's like a, a supercomputer of supercomputers. If you were to take a pinhead amount of DNA, you would build a stack of books that went from here all the way to the moon and back 250 times. <laughs> it, it's, it's incredible. If you look at one cell, that one cell begins, it's got the genetic instruction in that, in that book of life, those 3.2 billion characters on how okay, I'm gonna multiply and I'm gonna divide and this starts dividing and then those cells start dividing up to 75 trillion, it's unimaginable. And each one is going towards and evolving and growing into exactly the organ, your heart, your brain, your mind, your feet, everything. I mean, not, your mind and brain are different. We'll talk about that in a second. But, the, um, uh, but every organ in our body, like that DNA is telling it what to do, how to build. So, I mean, talk about a, a intelligent design. I mean, it's beyond imagination, a cell, that you can't even see with your eyeball has the instruction for all of this and the ongoing instruction of how it's going to work together. Like it doesn't even, <clears throat> it, it's, okay, now this, is, this gets really cool. So our cells are, have super coils, that DNA, because how else would you get 3.2 billion character encoded book of life into a cell? So if you were to stretch that out, the uh, DNA in each cell, <clears throat> and you were to put it end to end, <clears throat> this is where it gets kind of wonky. It goes to the, earth, to, the, to the moon and back. So the, before we had, it was quite impressive, you know, 250 times. This is 178,000 times. It would go back and forth to the moon and back. Or you could say two diameters around the entire solar system. So just take our DNA, and if, if they're all to hold hands, you would just wrap around all of, our, all of the planets, the sun, the furthest orbit. It's, uh, it, it, it's remarkable. And this is why I was so excited to share it today. I was just like, oh my gosh, this, this, is, this is so awesome. So evolution would have us believe that this, this book of life is a random chance byproduct breaking everything that we know just happens to be. Now, if I said to, to anybody that this book is going to come from nothing. You'd call me crazy. But we say, literally, we're saying that that DNA comes from nothing. It's, it just happened. I mean, nothing formed everything. So their beginning point is nothing. Random chance, a byproduct of such a... And that little enzyme that, that repairs, imagine that coming from by chance, right? Just, uh, oh, by the way, our immune system... It, it's, a, it's, a, it's a marvel, and man just continues to mess with it. Just like the Genesis says, 
be fruitful and multiply, right? And he says that too about the vegetation, about the trees. And now you look at companies that are trying to, that those seeds that are supposed to multiply, they're trying to make them so they die. Or after one use, they exterminate themselves, right? So it, there's so many things that are happening in the world that are, that are counter to God's design. This is the, uh, I love it when things make something impossible. It's impossible to give one example of a genome, which is a full DNA sequence, adding any information to it. You can't find it because it was and it is. So if you've never found one, what makes you think that that could exist? And it will never exist because it cannot exist. That as things mutate over time, they degrade, they start to lose information. Every mutation is lots of information. So therefore it's impossible. So that then if it's impossible for something to go to a higher order, how did you come from primordial slime? <laughs> and and not, it's, not, it's, not a, it's not a poke at you, Kirk. <laughs> so Lucy in the 1970s, she was the, the poster child of, of the ape transition. And, uh, and everybody was like, oh, is, is this rocking faith? It's the most ridiculous thing. I start to dig into it. I start looking. And, I mean, they, they do everything you could imagine, right? They make sure it's upright. They tilt the skull so it's like, it's like somebody would walk upright. They, they, they manipulate everything. They even show it with white eyeballs, right? When have you ever seen an ape with white eyeballs, right? It's like, so there is, and there's such manipulation. And then you go and you say, okay, where are they working from to, to make these assumptions and constructs? Like the skull, they had these tiny, tiny, tiny pieces, like little, and, and, and I said, okay, you're starting with this and you're ending with a, a humanoid-like creature with white eyeballs that walked and looked and like, it's, it's literally, it's such deception. It's just, and it, it's sad to see it because our children are being taught these things. As I start looking into it all, I'm just like, wow, like how could this be in our, these things be in our education system? So interestingly too, so they go, okay, carbon-14, radioactive dating, like we have the science behind it. If anybody looks into it, the amount of assumptions required for these things are immense, like incredible. Like they're just, they're ongoing, ongoing, ongoing. So you could take a rock, and this has been done from a volcano, like new rock, and they take it and they send it to eight different laboratories. They get eight different ages, right? And some of them are just like, this rock has been around for, and it's like, like how could that be? They did, they did another test, they took a chip out of the Grand Canyon, a rock, and they sent it to labs to be tested. They sent it back the next year to be retested after being put back in its place for a year. It came back 10,000 years older in that year. <laughs> that was like, now there's interest, I mean, science is interesting. All this stuff is fascinating, like how things degrade and how they're, but the, but the assumptions are the key. And, but in their mind boggling, if you look at it, I mentioned that, that, so Darwin had huge faith. He had faith in evolution, even though he said, but we're missing transitory, transitionary fossils. Like that would kind of be the crux of his entire, right? You would see, I mean, you would see these things that were half this and half that. You would see subspecies everywhere. You would see not mutations, but you would see entirely new. I mean, and, I mean the Bible speaks to everything that's, uh, and, and it's so clear. Dinosaurs, like I said, just were. They're finding like hemoglobin in, in, in blood cells. They're finding like flesh still intact. Now, if that was 65 million years old as opposed to 6,000 years old, right, you would, uh, it, it, it would, uh, I mean, every discovery, and they're finding these things all the time now. And like the proof of Noah's flood, when you see the sedimentary layers, you see that how the dinosaurs uh, died and how the young were separated from the old because the old could move fast. Like it's just, it's, it's incredible in the way that the, just the deposits. So science, again, I love science. I'm an engineer, so I'm not knocking science, but I'm saying science is awesome. But so science can start to explain the brain a bit because it's an organ, right? But, but science, our human consciousness, it can't even comprehend what is that. It can't even begin to describe it. 
because we have a conscious and we have a subconscious mind. Our subconscious mind operates at 200 billion characters per second, right? It's just, it's just moving all the time. It's controlling everything. And, and uh, neuroscience proves now that our brain and our uh, mind are too different, that our mind is what controls our brain. So we're a body, and this is what, what, we, what we live in. We have a soul, but we are a spirit. And that soul, that mind, will, emotion, <clears throat> is the in-between between our spirit and our body, right? And that's where the battle is. And that's why there's just such a relentless attack on everything to do that, uh, that comes from a position of faith. <clears throat> now, going to uh, Genesis. So, if creation is not true, if there's not a creator, and if they can try to disprove the Bible at the beginning. So, when the Bible starts, it says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, right? So, all of, right, in the beginning, God created time, the heavens, space, the earth, matter. The Bible unpacks all that stuff, and it, and it pulls into these things. John showed me the other day, it's a Hebrew word. I might not do it justice, but Bereshit, and it means beginning. If you break down that word, it's because every letter in the Hebrew alphabet actually has a picture with it. And if you look at the first word, beginning, the very first word of the Bible means the Son of God crowned with thorns upon his head on a tree. So the very first word of the Bible points to a savior. So it's just, I mean, everything points to the, the science behind the Bible, the, the truth of the Bible. It's infallible. Everywhere you look, it just, the Bible describes, like, it, it, it talks about so many different things. And the amount of manuscripts there are that point to the, that confirm the Bible. I mean, the Old Testament, there's mountains of them. The Dead Sea Scrolls were, were so helpful as well. They found the New Testament. I mean, thousands and thousands of manuscripts archaeology um, just continually confirms the Bible as does science. It's just, it's, it's continuing. If you look at the Bible written over 1,600 years, you look at there's 40 authors. How in the world could you have fishermen, you've got tax collectors, priests, kings, you name it, right? It's prophets, and they're all telling the story. God uses imperfect, broken human beings. He uses, he combines our experience and what we know with, it, with his inspired spirit to create. He doesn't just turn us into robots and we write. He, he actually is using everything. And so you see how the Bible and how absolute truth, if you look at the prophetic prophecies of cities and nations in the Bible, you look at the odds of that alone. It's, it's incomprehensible. Like it's, just, it's incredible what's the, the way everything points to that. The, the Bible also, just the honesty of the human condition. I mean, there's three murderers, right, that are really, that have written books of the Bible. And so it's very honest with the struggles, the brokenness of the, of the human condition, or of the very nature that, that we live in. So going from the Bible to Christianity as a, as a worldview. So... Everything we're trying to discover in any worldview to be true has to, has to coincide with reality. And Ravi Zachariah has got a great four, four elements to any, any faith. So Christianity and the Christian worldview has to speak to origin. How did, how did I get here? Why am I here? It has to speak to meaning. Why does my life have purpose? It, it has to speak to morality. How do I know right from wrong? It has to speak to destiny. Right? And, and so you see today, that, I mean, the Bible is incredible. Like our, our morality, the Ten Commandments give us right and wrong. The Bible even says that our conscience has the, the law imprinted on it even before we are born. So we come in with our conscience that we, we know right and wrong. Now that conscience can be twisted. It can be, it, it can be corrupted. But we're, we're, we're built with that knowledge of God within us and, the, and, and what is right and wrong. The, I mean, what the Bible says about destiny and where we're going after we die. I mean, it's just, it's absolutely incredible how it all comes together. If you look at prophetic, now getting into Christ, what the Old Testament says, and here's where we get into some more wild stuff, that the Masonic prophecies of a Savior coming are so incredible. Oh, Messianic, yeah, sorry. Messianic prophecies are so incredible that they, they, again, they defy comprehension when you start to put the odds of, of what's the chance of these things actually being fulfilled. Like King David, a thousand years before Christ, 
basically in, in Psalm 22 talked about the crucifixion, right? And there was no such thing as a crucifixion there. It was stoning by death. If you look at Micah, he said uh, about 800 years before, he said the Savior, the Messiah, is going to be born in Bethlehem. And then if you look at Isaiah, oh my goodness, he's just peppers with prophecy, prophetic word after prophetic word. Now, there's a Peter Stoner. He did a, um, uh, all these calculations, as have many, to see what are the probability of even, let's just say, eight prophecies to come into being. So he took the Messiah be born in Bethlehem, a messenger will be prepared the way of the Messiah. The Messiah will enter Jerusalem as a king riding on a donkey. The Messiah will be betrayed by a friend. Things like that. And he put, okay, what's the probability one by one by one? And then you have to take all those, just those eight probabilities multiplied together, divided by the total population of people that existed between the time of the prophecy and now, which happens to be just over 88 billion. You divide it by the, um, uh, the, the total and you get 10 to the power of 17. So one out of 10 to the power of 17. And here's where it gets crazy too. So a, a toonie as close as we have to a silver dollar. So even eight prophecies coming true would require this silver dollar could cover the whole state of Texas. My daughter told me this last week, just oddly. Two feet deep, and you have to mark one of them randomly blindfolded, go into the whole state of Texas, pull one in, is the equivalency of those eight prophecies being fulfilled by one person. If you were to say 32, back to the dime. So if you look at this, if we hollowed out the earth and we filled out the earth and just made it a dime earth, and then we took 10 earths, we filled them up. And then we reached, we marked one and we threw it in one of the 10 earths and we just reached in and grabbed one. That would be the same probability as somebody fulfilling 31 prophecies. You look at, okay, most scholars will say it's more like 100 to 300 and sometimes you can even go as high as 400 because I mean, you've got to be able to draw a, a, a tight connection. So uh, Max Locato, he's done a lot of research, and he said, okay, we can say 332. Now, that's 1084 with 97 zeros on the end of it, which is, what is that, right? It's, so it's, and that's in the, one of that, and these are all incomprehensible numbers. So if you look at what secular would have you believe, impossibility, improbable impossibility multiplied by this again and again and again. Then you look at the Bible, it's the exact opposite. There are odds that are so staggering the other way that it's, it's miracle upon miracle upon miracle instead of lie and deception upon, it's, 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 it's incredible, this shift. Getting into the resurrection quickly. Um, so there's not a scholar that, uh, that they all tend to agree that Jesus died on a cross. Like there's, there's, there's really no disputing that. If you go into, um, and you start looking at, okay, what's, where's the proof beyond that? You look at um, 11 disciples saw him at the same time. All 12 disciples ended up seeing him with their own eyes and spending time with him. Many ate and, uh, and talked with him. There was over 500 sightings over a period of six weeks of, of the resurrected Jesus Christ. And in fact, of the uh, 40 years, within 40 years after all the disciples, the 12 disciples, almost everyone was crucified, crucified upside down, killed for their faith. Their faith got stronger. It didn't dwindle. In fact, Jesus only had a three-year ministry within that three years because he only started at age 30 to 33 when he was crucified. In fact, he said that in three, and, and uh, that I'm going to die. I'm going to be, I'm going to be risen again. He even prophesied his own death. And so if you look at the three years of one man's life and how it's impacted and rocked the world, despite Romans came at this with everything. They lined the street with people crucified. They made Roman candles in, in the courtyards of Christians lit on fire. They brought them into the Colosseums to be killed in order to try to get them to renounce their faith. If you came to Jesus, so Saul to Paul was another great one that, you know, Saul, Saul, Jesus said, why are you persecuting me? He was a hunter of Christians. He was a Jew of Jews. He was like the, he was he, he was the, 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 probably the, the, the best example of a Jew. And he went from hunting Christians to writing, I think, just over half of the New Testament. 
And so you see these incredible heart changes. And if you look at a, start looking at, at uh, pulling it all together, um, so Ravi Zachariah, here's a great quote from his book, Jesus Among Secular Gods. It was beyond conceivable to me that one of the most respected and influential philosophers of the last century, Professor Richard Swinburne of the Oxford University, a scholar known especially for his aptitude in evaluating science, could argue in a book published by Oxford Press that based on available historical evidence today, he is 97% likely that Jesus miraculously rose from the, from the grave. Another one, Lance Walno writes, the foremost authority on the laws of evidence, legal scholar, Dr. Simon Greenleaf, 19, uh, sorry, 1783 to 1853, he decided to put Jesus' resurrection on trial. Greenleaf helped to put Harvard Law School on the map. His three-legal volume masterpiece, a, tre uh, a Treatise of the Law of Evidence, which has been called the greatest single authority in the entire literature of legal procedure. In fact, the U.S. judicial system today uses these law of evidence developed by him. He's a, Brit he's a brilliant Jewish legal mind on the facts of history. And Greenleaf, he actually began applying these rules of evidence to the case of resurrection of Christ. He was out to disprove the story, being a Jew, However, the more Greenleaf investigated the record of history, the more evidence he discovered supporting the claim that Jesus had indeed risen from the tomb. To this legal expert, the case for Jesus' resurrection was so compelling that he had no doubt it would uphold in a court of law. In his book, The Testimony of the Evangelist, Greenleaf documents the evidence supporting this conclusion. And he challenges that those who seek the truth about the resurrection to examine the evidence fairly, he believed that an unbiased person who honestly examines the evidence, as in a court of law, would conclude that, as he did, that Christ had truly been risen from the dead. <clears throat> yeah, I mean, it's, it doesn't matter where you look. As you start going into truth, and you look at to the person of Jesus, right? He's the, it, it, the, the visible manifestation of an invisible God. To, to know Jesus, you know the Father. To, to, I mean, he's what we looked at. We become what we behold. So the, the the truth of Jesus, the truth of our Creator, the truth of the Bible, right? Everything just everything just points to the the, the, the just the awesome person of, of who Jesus Christ is. And the, I mean, we're, how much time do we have, Kirk? I don't want to. Okay. I skimmed over a lot of things because I could see that. Uh... Okay, that's. Five minutes, four minutes? Okay. So, <clears throat> if you look at what is God's will, God's will is that none shall perish and all shall come to repentance. So, he, he loves the world. Like, he created us to be his family. He created us to, to, to love and to be loved. Hell was not created for man. It was created for Satan, right? And and if you look at the Adam and Eve, right, the, where, where sin entered, death entered, and it was instant spiritual death, but it was also physical death. And, he, and that spiritual death created eternal separation between man and God. And that God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever should believe in him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. And he had to do that because all have sinned. Every one of us have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And if you look at the cross, he, he didn't come to condemn and to convict. He came to save if you look at who he went to, he went to the, the, the rejects, the outcasts. All that call on the name of the Lord will be saved. And he took the, the most gruesome murder where he was tortured beyond belief. He was marred beyond recognition. And he did it for the joy set before him, which was all of us joining him, reconnected with him for all of eternity. He took the cross. And if you look, the... I mean, Jordan Peterson has an interesting quote. He's a clinical psychologist, and he's very well studied on the... Um, and one of the things he says is that it's very... For man not to think that we have propensity for evil and evil within is, is, he said, dangerous. He said, we can do things that approximate good. So the Bible says that the, the heart of man is desperately wicked. We know the carnal mind, it, it, the Bible says, is an enmity against, against God. It's act, literally in rebellion. I, I've, I've experienced it. It is... And it's the, 
it's that um, just knowing who the person of Jesus is and, and, the, and the truth of who he is that just begins to change everything. And when you know of, of a God that's so loving and so kind, and we tend to say, oh, I'm a good person. And if, if you're a good person, that's great. We tend to compare ourselves against others. The standard is Jesus. The standard is God's perfection, his holiness. He's uncorruptible. He's infinitely righteous. That, that's, the, that's the standard. It's not if you're better than your neighbor or if you're the, the most righteous person that you know. It's, it's irrelevant. It's a gift of grace by faith alone so that none may boast. It's, it's getting away from the law. It's getting away from works. So Jesus didn't come to, to destroy the law. He actually came to fulfill the law. So he, he brought us a, uh, he became our righteousness. We are the righteousness in Christ. He did what we could not do for ourselves. Our problem is with the, our very nature of, of our human existence. And that's why, unless you're born again, you cannot enter the kingdom of God. That dead spirit has to be brought to life. And that spirit that's been brought to life is now in perfect union, oneness with God the Most High for now and ever and ever for all of eternity. If you look at the Ten Commandments, the Ten Commandments are the most incredible Ten Commandments on which to base a moral code, to base a civilization. The more you go into the Ten Commandments, it's awe-inspiring. That's the standard. You can't break it once. If you go to a court and you say you're guilty of a crime, you look at the judge and you go, okay, judge, um, I may have done that, but I'm a really great person. He would look at you like you're crazy, right? He, he really would because it's got nothing to do with the crime you committed. Now, the world would try to, to say differently now, but it's, it's, so if you look at a perfect judge, a just judge, in fact, his judgment is so just that he had to send Jesus to the cross and he had to let his own son be crucified. Gives you the idea of the severity of the judgment of what he was willing to do to make that right. He made a way where there was no way. So if you look at the Ten Commandments, has anybody lied just once? You're a liar. Have you ever used the Lord's name in vain? Everybody would say yes. You're, you're a blasphemer, which used to be punishable by death. If you look at thou shall not murder, Jesus even raised the bar higher. He said even, even if you have anger in your heart towards another, you're guilty. Adultery, you, you shall not commit adultery. Jesus even raised the bar again. He wanted to show how futile it was to try to do it on your own. Even if you have lust in your heart, you've committed adultery. So we come as sinners, every one of us, that were lying, blaspheming, murderous, adulterers, right? That our, that our hearts are, wickedly, uh, are, are wicked by, by the very nature of human existence. Now, there was a solution way back in Ezekiel. Right, because we needed a nature transplant, we needed a heart transplant. And he said, I'll give you a new heart and a new spirit. I'll replace your heart of stone, and I'll give you a heart of flesh. If you look at those that come to Jesus, we come into face-to-face -face, right, with who we are in our need for, a, for an all-sufficient Savior. We're ones that we look to God, and we know our brokenness, we know our weakness, and we know we need him. Paul says that in my, in my weakness, his strength is made perfect. And in fact, I boast of my weakness because his strength is, is even made greater through my weakness. He's, he's, he's glorified through my weakness. So once we get to that realization, we need a savior. Interesting, C.S. Lewis said, it's all about submission to God. It's all about submission, right? It's admitting that, we're, that, that we do need a savior. We can't do it for ourselves. That, that when Jesus came, he came to give our souls rest. He came because like, we to give us peace. He's the king of peace. We operate from the fruit of the spirit, just incredible gifts of love, peace, joy, faith. He, he came that, that his yoke is easy and his burden is light. He came to take the weight off. He came to, he came to change everything. And so C.S. Lewis says it so incredibly well. The heart position, and it's like a childlike faith. Without childlike faith, you cannot enter the kingdom of God. And it's submission to our Father. And what C.S. Lewis said is, there's two things. He said, you can choose to, to submit and say to God, let your will be done. And if you choose not to, God will look at you. If you refuse to bend the knee, C.S. Lewis said, God look to you and say, may your will be done. What we have is such an incredible gift. The, I mean, this was a, a 30 minute, super fast run through everything. But the case for the Lord Jesus Christ, I mean, typically when I talk about the gospel, I use my life as an example. 
He defeated death utterly, entirely. He defeated the sting of death. Death, where is your sting? Remember when my, the funeral went after my daughter was murdered, we were celebrating, not because she wasn't here. We're missed in the air, here for a short time and then gone. It's the, we have eternity in our hearts. My daughter was eternally with him. Death had no sting. In fact, I was filled with the joy of God and the peace of God because the Prince of Peace had taken up residence in my heart, right? And, and his joy was my joy, that we don't do it on our own. The fruit of the Spirit doesn't come from trying. We, we, can't, we can't muster up joy in those circumstances. We can't, we can't have peace that passes all understanding on our own. Those are fruits of the Spirit. They come from intimacy and love with him. And if you look at the, when we come to Jesus, like it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a full surrender. Life with Jesus, it's not saying a prayer, being saved, living your life. It's, a, it's an extreme shift. It's understanding, you know what, I'm, I'm a sinner, right? And I, I repent. And, it's, and it, it's, it's that acknowledgement that I need a Savior. I can't do it on my own. It's, it's then turning. Repenting is turning to God. So in that space of repentance, you turn to God. You say, you know, I believe you are who you say you are. I believe that that you are the son of God, that you died to save my sin. I believe that you died and you rose again. I believe that you were resurrected. You know, I choose to make you the Lord of my life. It doesn't mean a little bit. It means, it means I'm going to love you, Lord. You're the Lord of my life. And I love you with all my heart, all my mind, all my strength, and all my soul. It means I'm going to love you with everything I have. That's a Christian experience. It's an infilling. It's being born again. It's a new, it's, we're a totally new creations. And that mind, I talked about our body, mind, and soul. And our, our mind is that is the in-between in our emotions. Our soul is the in-between between our spirit and our body. Once we become a new creation, we actually are born with new desires. So we have a whole new heart with new desires. And as we look to him, our mind, we start to reprogram our mind. We start to get, and that's why I love, a mind at peace and a healthy mind with no issue is a mind that's full of truth. I pack my mind full of the Word of God continuously. I praise Him. I worship Him. I spend time with God. As I spend time with God, I'm slowly being made into His image, and I'm slowly experiencing more and more of who He is. That's what Christianity is. It's not, it's not being saved, living your life. It's actually living all out for Him. We're meant to take up our cross, and we're meant to follow Him. And that's, we're, we're meant to endure suffering. We're meant to have trials. We're meant to have tribulations. He's forming and shaping us. He's got an identity and destiny in store for each and every person. He's got a plan to get there. He disciplines those he loves. We have to embrace all these things. And in uh, Christianity, is most exciting, most difficult, great, full, full of suffering and joy and peace. It's 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 incredible. And uh, yeah, it is awesome. So thank you guys. We're going to enter into communion right now. So thank you very much. Thank you so much for listening to our podcast today. To find more teaching resources or to join us via live stream, visit our website at eastgatehouseofprayer.ca.